But we've seen that in the new birth, that man in a spiritual sense is already delivered. He has this new life. The spirit is life because of righteousness. Yes, but the body still is dead because of sin. Now that is the teaching. In other words, that though a man is regenerated, sin still remains in his mortal dying body. Hence the problem of living the Christian life. Hence the, the fight and the struggle against sin as long as we are left in this world. In other words, the body still is the seat and the instrument of sin and corruption. The body is the seat of the sin and the corruption that still remain in us. Our bodies are not yet delivered. They are going to be. But so far, the sin remains there. Now, the apostle, of course, as I indicated to you in the many verses that I quoted a fortnight ago, he makes this quite clear. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says again, I keep under my body. Of course. And that's why he does keep it under. The position is this. The body prompts us to evil deeds. It isn't that the instincts of the body are in and of themselves sinful. They're not. The instincts are natural, they are normal, and they're not sinful. But because there is this residual sin within us, it is always trying to turn the natural instincts into something that's wrong. Inordinate affection. It tries to exaggerate them. Tries to make us eat too much. Tries to make us drink too much. Tries to make us indulge the other instincts too much. It becomes inordinate. Not that the thing is wrong in and of itself. But that this sinful principle constantly is trying to turn what is normal and natural into something that is sinful. And welcome to the Providence Podcast. My name is Chris Oswald, Senior Pastor at Providence Community Church. You just heard a short sermon clip from Martin Lloyd-Jones from a sermon called Sin in the Body, rooted in the text Romans 8, 12 through 13. Today we're going to talk about anger and its seat in our physicality, in our body. I think this is one of the least discussed aspects of anger and tends to be one of those areas that can, when understood, really make a difference in someone's life who is struggling with anger. Now, I'm going to do this podcast typically on the back of some counseling endeavor. The whole point of this podcast in this sense is to uh, simply you, you know, uh, bring to scale what has already been done in an individual or with an individual. And so when, it, when from time to time as a pastor, I sit down with someone and engage in what I really think of as just discipleship, right? We're just talking about how to become more like Jesus. What I want to do, one of the things I want to do with this podcast is I want to give people, more people, access to this information. I think it's just a way of sort of blessing at scale. I love that phrase. I heard it recently, and I love that phrase, blessing at scale. And I want to try to turn the work that has already been done to care for one person into something that can potentially care for multiple people. So let's get into it. 
We're going to go back to that sermon quote here in a moment, but I want to read the text to you from which the sermon is based. This is part of Martin Lloyd-Jones's expansive Roman series, and I was first exposed to this sermon because Angela was listening to it uh, one morning while she was getting ready for work, as is fairly common in our household to have something like that playing in the morning. And uh, I remember sitting at my desk working on whatever I was working on, and she's getting ready and she's listening to this sermon, and that particular quote came up, and I thought, oh my goodness, that is as that is said as well as I think I've ever heard anyone say it. The text that that, Lo- that Martin Lloyd-Jones is using, or that he's, he's expositing, is Romans 8, 12 through 13, which says in the ESV, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, Lloyd-Jones is very careful in his exposition throughout Romans to differentiate And this is a difficult differentiation, and he mentions at the beginning of this sermon, a quote that you didn't hear, um, how how a lot of people struggle, a lot of interpreters struggle with this particular piece of of exposition, and that is because sometimes it's not so clear whether Paul is referring to the flesh, which is this sort of spiritual entity, this sort of uh, spiritual force that lives in as part of our indwelling sin, or when Paul is referring to the body. Sometimes it's not clear in the original Greek. And what he is careful to do, and I think this is one of the reasons why his teaching through Romans had such impact, is he's careful to make a distinction and to really unpack what is happening exactly when Paul is calling us to essentially a life of sanctification, a life of putting to death the deeds of the body. Now, why, why does this matter for anger? Well, there are a number of principles I want to put forward to you in this podcast about anger. And the first one is, and I won't cover this very deeply, but the first one has something to do with the, the end of Jones's quote. And that is that not all negative emotions are sinful. Not all negative emotions are sinful. There are emotions that we would consider to be negative, anxiety, anger, jealousy, perhaps some kind of um, of resentment, for instance, those may not be entirely sinful. They're certainly negative. They certainly don't feel good, but they may not be entirely sinful. Another example would be grief, right? It's a negative emotion, not necessarily sinful. Because we've been raised in a culture that is just wanting to feel good all of the time, that desire for kind of constant happiness at a sort of surface emotional level has weak, has leaked its way into the church's understanding of emotions so that now we view negative emotions with sort of a presumption that they must be sin. We think, well, you know, this is making me feel bad, therefore it, it must be sin because, of course, the, the underlying theology there is, is that whatever makes me feel bad is sin. But we want to be clear that, first and foremost, that anger is not necessarily sin. But what is usually going to happen because of the body is that a feeling of anger will, perhaps even righteous anger, will uh, be hijacked by the body in, in the way that Lloyd-Jones describes as inordinate. And I, I want to go back to that. I think it's the last minute or so 
I want to go back and I want you to hear that statement again. So let's do that right now. The position is this. The body prompts us to evil deeds. It isn't that the instincts of the body are in and of themselves sinful. They're not. The instincts are natural, they are normal, and they're not sinful. But because there is this residual sin within us, it is always trying to turn the natural instincts into something that's wrong. Inordinate affection. It tries to exaggerate them. Tries to make us eat too much. Tries to make us drink too much. Tries to make us indulge the other instincts too much. It becomes inordinate. Not that the thing is wrong in and of itself, but that this sinful principle constantly is trying to turn what is normal and natural into something that is sinful. Okay, so what, what we would be imagining as we're discussing the topic of anger in particular is that something, some stressor has entered into our environment. And there are some physical things going on there immediately. Our body is responding to a stress. Now, if our body was not captured by sin in the way that Jones describes more broadly in the Roman series and also in this particular sermon, if our body was not captured by sin, we would have a reasonable response to that stressor that is, as Jones, and he's stealing this from Augustine, would say is ordinate. It is, it is appropriate but what happens is the body, because it is still bound in sin, the body actually overreacts. It, it goes farther than it should in this particular moment. You can think about this uh, with another kind of sin. For instance, lust. You know, anyone that's ever struggled with lust understands that there's a, a spectrum that goes on there. And at the front end of that spectrum, we may not even be talking about sin, uh, not, not necessarily sin on the individual's part who's, who's going to wind up lusting. But the beginning may simply be a physical response, a physical reaction to a beautiful woman, for instance, or to a handsome man. And right there, we've got a situation that if sin were not an issue, there would be a recognition and appreciation of the beauty but then we would just kind of, it would just go no further. It would be there and no further. But of course, because of indwelling sin and its effect on our body, we move from that recognition of beauty into stages of sin. And, you know, it can go quite far from that initial recognition of beauty. If the Lord does not stop us, to restrain us through his Holy Spirit, we, it, it could go quite far. But the very beginning of that is a feeling that itself is not necessarily sin, a recognition of someone's beauty. Well, when it comes to anger, we're dealing with the very same scenario. We're just dealing with it in a more negative fashion or in a, a negative situation. You know, <laughs> a beautiful woman walks by you. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's good that beautiful people exist. Beauty is, beauty is good. You know, in, in the situation of anger, someone is experiencing a stressor. And if there wasn't a sin involved in this, if we were entirely free of sin, then there would be a recognition of a stressor, of a, of a situation that isn't what we need it to be, what we want it to be. 
and then that would be that would be it, or it would there be some sort of appropriate response. But over time, in particular, people that struggle with anger, and I've I've struggled with this as well. Over time, our body actually builds what I can only describe as sort of a an avalanche cascading response that becomes physical in nature, that becomes hardwired in our minds, and we move very quickly through a, a series of physical responses to that stress, and it leads to something that we could call anger. So one of the things I want us to understand is that what's going on when we're when we're encountering a, a physical, a, a stressor rather, is, is something in our body is overreacting to the stress. And so this is why it feels so difficult to control because what's really happening is, it's, yes, it's spiritual in the sense that there's moral implications to it, but it's also quite physical. And you might wonder, you know, why, why do some people struggle with this and other people do not? The, the way that I have seen particular struggles manifest in people's lives, it comes down very often to early permission given, early permission given. I'm going to pause the podcast right now. Uh, you're not going to notice anything. I'm just going to hit pause. But I'm going to go look for a quote that just came to mind from Oswald Chambers. I think it's kind of a hard quote to find, but let me see if I can find that quote that, that deals with this particular issue. Okay, I'm back. No luck. <laughs> no luck. I knew when I read that quote, I usually try to grab those things and file them away in my notes file. Um, but boy, I didn't do that with this one and I just cannot find it online. So I'll just kind of give you the quote from memory. It was very impactful when I read it and it has to do with this idea of permission. The quote essentially is, is that from time to time, a Christian will come across some particular struggle that seems to be in ordinately serious and difficult and difficult to beat. And it's, it's very common that, uh, you know, people have their one thing, you know, their, their one struggle and so forth. And one of the points that Chambers makes in that quote that I cannot find is that very often when you trace back the roots of this, it started with a sort of in, an understanding, a clear understanding that you were violating God's commandments uh, often when you were young, often many years ago, in this particular area, there was an understanding of, I know what God wants, and I'm going to do the opposite of what God wants. And what will happen sometimes is one of those particular areas becomes what you can almost describe as um, hardwired into your body itself. So that you begin to, in a particular area, have a constant difficulty overcoming a particular sin, a particular kind of sin, because long ago you sort of gave permission and you said, you know, in this area, I'm not going to be like Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do in this particular area. And so what, what happens in those areas, especially when we're young, especially if, if this is happening in a time when our minds are being, you know, wired, you know, as we're growing up in our teen years, in our early 20s, giving permission in that sense almost becomes a biological part of us. 
And again, you can see this more often in a sin like lust or a sin of, of substance abuse, for instance. But I think the co- most common expression I see is in the area of anxiety and in the area of anger, where there was a period of time, way back when perhaps, when a permission was given to indulge in something, whether it be anger or worry or lust. And, and you've given permission too many times so that now your body has actually adapted a particular response to particular stimuli. And uh, of course, this means that, you know, the average guy, um, in theory, who's not, you know, hasn't given kind of permission to lust, for instance, would be able to navigate, say, a day at the pool in a way that's very different than a guy who gave permission and, and really has sort of built up this physical response that kind of has a cascading effect in his life when he's exposed to, say, a beautiful woman. Well, people who struggle with anger have, have a physical system that's built in that takes a stressor and makes more of it than it should or essentially makes the body and the mind respond to it in ways that are sinful, beyond appropriate. So what, what you need to understand about anger if you're struggling with it is, is that it is very much a physical issue, and you're going to have to be renewed day by day in the image of God, and you're going to have to consistently sort of rescind the permission you once gave yourself to indulge in this particular sin. Now, how do you help someone that's actually struggling with anger? Well, my approach has been for for myself and and I think for others, uh, my approach has been to differentiate between anger and what the Bible calls fits of rage. So I have chosen often to differentiate between those two things. Let me read to you from Galatians and show you the differentiation. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul writes, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what I want to put forward to you is that if you're struggling with anger, the very first thing you ought to deal with is not the complexities of the emotions themselves. Again, there is a a degree to which your recognition of something that is wrong may not even be sin. There's a degree to which some of your anger may not even be sin. It's, It's a very complicated issue. It's also, it also just doesn't serve you well in real time to try to sort those things out. Because in the moment when, for someone that's struggling with anger, in the moment when sort of the stressor enters and the stimuli is there, your body's going to very quickly take you down a road and it's going to lead to what? 
a fit of rage, a fit of anger. So what I try to walk people through is to deal with the thing that hurts others first. Deal with the thing that hurts others first. We're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're really supposed to put other people before us in many respects. And so this can be helpful because it gives us some sense of a triage of sin. What are the sins I should deal with first? The ones that hurt others, you know. And if you begin to act out of love toward others, and that becomes your sort of um, your agenda for sanctification, you know, just I'm I'm hopeful I don't get down on a rabbit trail on this, but, you know, you sort of like, man, there's a lot of things you could work on about yourself. And there's a lot of things that aren't like Christ, right? It's like, what are the priorities? Well, look at the things that are affecting others. Look to the things that are hurting others. And out of love for them, which is a godly, you know, emotion, a godly choice, out of love for them, target those things first. So when we come to anger, we're like, okay, well, you know, there's a whole lot of things going on here. Some of them might be sinful, some of them might not be, but what's the one thing that I should work on first? And I always tell people, you know, you you, want to work first on self-control. Just the self-control that keeps your body from cascading into this response that leads you toward what the Bible would call, you know, a fit of rage or a fit of anger. That's not necessarily dealing with the anger you feel. It's simply saying that I'm going to choose to express this anger in ways that are not normal for my particular, you know, training, the way that I've trained my body over time. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to blow my top. Now, what, what that's going to do immediately is that's going to be a blessing to many other people in your life. Um, the truth is, is that your anger is somewhat of a liability in your relationships, of course. And we could talk about this more, it, perhaps in, an, in another time. But the, the truth is, is that if you could just stop being visibly volume, high volume angry, a lot of people are going to be better off as a consequence of just that choice. And the reason why I introduced this whole topic with that Martin Lloyd-Jones quote is you need to see that what you're really doing is you're retraining your body. You're, you're telling your body when you, re- when you receive a stimuli of stress, we're, gonna go, we're not going to go all the way down that road anymore. We're not going to go all the way to a fit of rage. We're going we're gonna to deal with that particular issue. And so that's really a self-control issue. It's really just a choice of closing your mouth. Uh, it's really a choice of saying, it's really, it's also perhaps just a belief that God, what God says is true in the sense that he says that you can in the spirit have self-control. Many times people who are angry will often talk about, I just couldn't help myself. I just felt so overwhelmingly X, Y, or Z. And again, I would say, let's take that out of the subject of anger and move it into another sin and say, for instance, lust. It's like, well, can you, do you understand how creepy that sounds when someone talks about it with lust, right? Not to, I don't want to get too gross here, but you know, essentially someone has a stimulus. They're saying, you know, they see someone, a beautiful woman, the body wants to go this full cascade that kind of terminates in a 
in a physical expression of sin in one way or another, whether that be adultery or self-pleasure or whatever. And what you're really saying is, is no, um, I, you know, if you applied the way that people talk about their anger to lust, you'd be like, well, I just, it, it, I just couldn't help myself. It just got to the point where I had to express it. I couldn't keep it pent up anymore. And truthfully, when people are struggling with lust, they will often not say that out loud to people, but they'll often believe that about themselves, that there's sort of this point of no return that they get to. It's like, well, no, that's not true. You, you ultimately do have a choice over what you do with your body. And so when it comes to anger, the thing that I've found that helps the most is to challenge someone who's struggling with anger to cut off that final piece of the cascade that they've trained their bodies to go through. And that final piece is yelling, getting, you know, visibly upset to others, so on and so forth. Now, are you going to nail this perfectly? No, but I do think that when you begin, I, I do think, especially if, so if you're a man, um, a couple things to understand. One, there are plenty of people who are every bit as angry as you, but just have more self-control. And those people are better off than you are. And the people in those people's lives are better off than the people in your people's lives. Like this one piece is a big deal. There's, there's plenty of people who are angry who have not trained their bodies over time to respond, to have to kind of end the cycle with yelling or end the cycle with a fit of rage. So, we would say that, you know, we would always want to deal with the heart and we would always say that anyone who's struggling with long-term kind of anger is not okay. But those who know better than to just let it vent, they're, they're better off. And the peop more importantly, the people in their lives are better off because of that element of self-control. Proverbs 29.11 says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And what you've got there, let me read that verse again, Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. What you've got there is um, two people, a wise man and a fool, who are both angry. Right? And what's differentiating these two between the fool and the wise man is what they do with that anger. A fool gives full vent to that anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Ideally, way back when, <laughs> before this became a, a habitual sin, ideally you would have at that time trained your body and been like, no, you can hold your anger. You don't have to, you don't have to give full vent to it. And that wouldn't deal, you know, with the issue at hand in terms of why you're being stressed. It wouldn't deal with the anger itself, but it would, it would make you wise. <laughs> it would make you wise because you're quietly holding it back. Now, this verse is Proverbs 29, 11 is also really a promise. Is this is this is what God will do for you. You know, the Bible says that um, you know, when when our children ask us for things, we give them to it. We, we do our best to give them what they need because, you know, we love our kids. And Jesus says, if you then being evil know how to give good things, 
how much more will your father give you what you ask? And, you know, one version says, give you the Holy Spirit when you ask. And another version just says, give you what you ask. And they're both pointing to the same thing. So if you're struggling with anger, my challenge is this. You need to understand there's a bodily activity happening. And the first thing I want you to do is to begin to figure out how to remove some of the most, what I would say are violent expressions at the end of that anger cascade that your body has learned to go through. And uh, let, me, let me break that down just very quickly. Uh, let's say step one, stimulus of negative uh, experience. So if something's not going well. You feel disrespected. You feel misunderstood. You feel alone. You feel like you failed. And there's a lot of reasons why men in particular feel anger. Uh, you feel these things. And then the next step is, is there's a physical response. Your breathing becomes different. Your heart rate changes. Uh, you begin to tense up and so on and so forth. And this is part of your body's, uh, you know, natural response to stress in general. Now, you can regulate that. You can get better at that. You can turn that down from a 10 to a, a 5 so that even before you've said anything, your body's just responding more calmly to negative stimulus. But what I'm really interested in is that third step. First step, stimulus. Second step, physical sort of stirrings. The third step is vent, you know, venting these feelings. And this is very similar to sexual sin in that it's all pointing toward a release that will feel good for a few seconds and then lead to shame. And that's exactly where folks wind up when they um, are on the wrong side of Proverbs twenty nine eleven. Um, there's a there's a physical release when you yell, when you get upset, and it feels good for just a second, and then you're sitting in your own shame, following that. So, if you're struggling with anger, I want you to maybe listen to the sermon that Martin Lloyd Jones preached. It's uh, you can just Google sin in the body. And I want you to, in particular, take my counsel in this particular area as someone who has and is working through this himself. The main thing to do is to look at what part of this hurts people the most. And the part that hurts people the most is the expression, which is a separate sin in Galatians 5 than the anger itself. The expression is its own thing. And if you would deal with that particular issue first, not only are other people going to be blessed, you're going to be more wise, but also in the end, you're starting to chip away at this bodily response you've learned over time. And, and this can be extraordinarily beneficial in the long run to sort of unwiring that original hardwiring that you built up years ago in response to negative stimuli. Well, I think that's, that's a good enough, uh, comment on anger. That's one of the keys I wanted to pass on to you that was part of a recent counseling session. So I hope that you appreciate that. And if you have any questions, of course, this podcast is really for the members of Providence Community Church. So if you have any questions at all, you, you know how to get a hold of me. And I'd love to talk with you more about this particular subject. That's all for now.